Hello and welcome to the Clever Techs podcast, Creating Useful People. I'm Jodie Cook and today I'm so excited to interview the wonderful Una Collins. Una is the founder of Potential Plus International and is a global executive board level coach with 25 years experience of developing emotionally intelligent leaders and high performing teams. Her work has taken her all over the world, coaching people of all different nationalities in all sorts of senior and high profile positions. Una's client list is absolutely incredible and includes Burberry, Warner Brothers and Virgin Airlines. In 2015, Una set up a bursary in honour of her mom, Sheila Collins, for potential leaders who have come from disadvantaged backgrounds. My family and Una's family have been very good friends for a very long time. So Una, it's amazing to welcome you to the show. Well, I'm very glad to be here, Jodie. Looking forward to it. So please may you start by telling me about your impression of the world of work from childhood. So I I think in terms of my background, it has shaped in some respects who I am at work. But uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My father was an entrepreneur and we there's four children in our family and we all have our own businesses. And my career has been quite varied. I was a sports coach in Australia. I was a headhunter in Toronto, but my main career for 15 years was in property before I became an executive coach. And that may seem quite varied, but my mother was a tremendous influence on me. She lost my father when I was six and was a remarkable woman, but she instilled in me a passion to experience life and be the best I can be. And I always wanted to travel. And I would say my biggest education in my life has been through my travel, through my experience of living in different countries. At quite a young age, I I did that from the age of 18. I just went off and went to South Africa at the time of apartheid, which was quite interesting. You know, lived in Australia and Canada and and America. And uh, all of those have shaped me in some respect. So I think Most definitely my mother's upbringing, the entrepreneurial attitude that we all, I guess in some respect, was instilled in us that we could do anything we wanted and we all have. So I think that's shaped my whole perspective of work in some respects. If so, you come from a family of entrepreneurs. So what did your your parents do when you were growing up? My father was a master jeweller. I remember he had a, a store in Trafalgar Square. My mother was disabled from the age of 30 because she had chronic rheumatoid arthritis. So she pretty well was was bedridden until I was about 16. And then she, uh, when she she could walk much more freely, she did whatever she could to support her family, which was a clerk. And then when my brother, my eldest brother, Michael, set up his property development company, she was his first employee. And she did a lot of research for him and stayed with him all the way until um, you know, until her, her passing away. So there's so many questions I want to ask you in, in everything you've just said. But if we go back to your dad being a, a master jeweller, what do you remember about him doing that as a profession? Well, bearing in mind that I was six and a half when he passed away, I still remember my father very much. I still remember him actually bringing home little bits of jewellery. But he set up a life with his business that he could also care for my mother a little bit as well. So there was an, a tremendous freedom, but he had tremendous drive. And I think there was flexibility because I remember on a Wednesday afternoon, he would come and eat tripe and we'd watch Bill and Ben together as, <laughs> as, as a family. But 
he showed me a lot of love and um, I have tremendous memories of him, which is unusual because often people assume I wouldn't remember my father because I, he died when I was six, but I have very strong memories of him and the times we had. But I recall more than anything else that he was around, um, but he was also very busy. Mm. So do you think he, he kind of purposely positioned his business and career so that he could be around for, for you and your siblings? He possibly could. I think he must have done because in one hand, that was great because I know he was my mother's carer. He, he really looked after my mother when she was not very well. But at the same time, when he passed away, he did not prepare for that. So therefore, our family was transported from living in Notting Hill to a very different life when he passed away, which was quite extreme in, in terms of poverty, which I'm sure he would never have wanted. But that's what happened. Can you tell me more about that experience? Well, I think it's instilled certainly a drive in all of us and a desire for financial independence because of it. But frankly, I think, um, well, when my, my father passed away, uh, we were living in a, in a rented house in Notting Hill. My mother was very ill and I had two brothers, uh, 12, 13, and my sister and I, we were twins, we were six. But the landlord had to evict us because my mother couldn't pay the rent. What was interesting is the Catholic Church helped us a lot and found us alternative housing at that time in Bethel Green in the East End of London while they waited for a home to be available for my mother and our family. So for two years, um, we lived in Bethnal Green and uh, went to school there. And um, it was a, you know, a, a part of my background. So you were very young at the time. Like what, what do you remember about the experience as you were going through it? Lots of different things, really. My, from what my mother told me, for instance, I know that the welfare wanted to take her children away because they didn't think she was well enough to look after four children. And she told me that she got us all together and said, um, because she said to the welfare, just give us three months and I will prove to you I can look after my children. Do not take them away. And uh, so she instilled in my two brothers that we all had to stick together and prove to, to welfare that we could survive as a family. And, and so um, we did. And obviously, they then could see that we, we could manage. But, you know, a lot of well, one in particular, there was a nun called Sister Lucy that really, really helped my mother and helped us cope through those, uh, that transition. When you say prove that you could that you could overcome it and prove that you could get through it, what, what did that involve in practice? Well, I think as we were growing up, we just had to stand on our two feet um, to recognise that we couldn't have everything we wanted. Not that we did that much, really. I mean, we had care packages that used to arrive regularly with clothes and shoes and things like that. So I think it just I think there was a resilience. I certainly I think, you know, it was a relatively tough neighbourhood. And, and my brothers used to say, look, you know learn to look after yourself. And I guess I did. Um, but also, I think it gave me um, a compassion for people as well. Because, you know, when you've gone through that, it's impacted me in terms of you never know what people's stories are. Everyone has a story. I'm sure most of my clients wouldn't necessarily know this story about me unless it's, it's come up. Uh, but everyone has a story. I, I remember one particular time, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but my mother always wanted us to look great for school and I remember the school had a, um, a uniform change where the blouses had to be blue and of course my mother, we, didn't, we weren't able to go out and buy new blouses so she just dyed the white ones blue and I just remember the headmistress who was, who was quite sweet uh, 
recognised and, and, and brought us to the head and assembly as, a, as an example of, of a uniform, which was incredibly embarrassing. But it was just, you know, you just get on with it, really. And you learn to um, make the most of things and enjoy yourself. I mean, we, we had a very loving family. My mother showed us tremendous love and we looked after her as well. So you grow up very quickly, you know, at that age. You know, I remember the thing I most remember is sometimes feeling rather envious of, 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 of children whose mothers were picking them up from school sometimes and, and my mum may have been at work then so we would go home and help the house and the, the cleaning and stuff like, like that but that was all part of, of, of life when you are all a team working together to support my mother and, and support us as a family. So growing up as one of of four siblings yeah. and I know that um for, well from, from what I know about your siblings and the ones I know um very strong-willed and wonderfully assertive characters yes. growing up as one of four what what were the group dynamics like there we were all pretty boisterous children for one thing my mother my mother was an incredibly serene woman but she brought four very expressive children up <laughs> in fact she used to say sort of get it out so we were all quite strong characters my brothers are very different but very strong and they, they've also you know grown up to be well successful in, in their own right Shane was a, an, an amazing sports person who just excelled at sports um, and has sort of you know swam the English channel done remarkable feats purely I think because of his mindset mm-hmm. his mindset uh, enabled him to to achieve everything he's done and so so is the same with my eldest brother Michael and all of us I think our mindset has been particularly influenced so there was a dynamic of a lot of expression, a lot of um, arguing sometimes, but a tremendous mindset of um, go out and see the world and go out and do the best you can and, and, and be successful. So things like get it out and, and see the world and do what you can, is this, are these all things that were kind of taught to you from your mom? Most definitely. I, I think there's this wonderful combination of giving us a sense of drive, but also giving us this tremendous haven of love. So because it's almost like you could come home and you knew that you could just, you know, cry, do whatever you wanted. And you'd have this remarkable, loving woman who was behind you. But she was driving you and making you believe you could do anything you wanted in life. I don't know if she felt maybe because of our circumstances, there could have been a very different pathway. But she made us believe we could do absolutely anything. Because I think it's a fantastic thing to be able to achieve because I think it's one thing to be able to tell someone that they can do anything, but then to go on and make them really, truly believe it and also to go on and achieve amazing things. It feels like that's just upper next level. And I'm just so interested in how that actually how that actually came to be. But I think it's the consistency of, of that message. It's not just now and again. It, it's every every day. Uh, if you came home and there was something that went wrong, she would just talk to you and say, you're, you're special, you can do anything you want, what are you going to do about that? I mean, she would just continually instill that. So I don't think it's just now and again. But if you have that belief in you every single day, it starts becoming uh, a mindset that is almost familial. Sometimes it can toughen you up and maybe make you less vulnerable, but we're all vulnerable, but sometimes we hide that. And I've learned in the more I do this kind of work as well, that vulnerability is a strength. But sometimes when you have that mindset, it, it can 
can toughen you up and you don't always show that vulnerability, which serves sometimes. But I think, as, as I say, as you get older, you also have to, to understand what vulnerability really is, which my mother was to a T. She was a very strong but gentle woman. Well, it's, it sounds like saying things like, well, you know, you can do anything. What are you going to do? That's that's such a like, that's not a giving advice, is it? That's a very much coaching style of of kind of teaching someone on, on what's right to do next. Yes, I, I and she would she would do a little thing. She'd have a belief of have a sense of purpose. I mean, I would she would pay us pocket money in order to do housework, and we'd have our little chores. But she'd always say, have a sense of purpose about everything you do, even if it's for housework. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so SOP, as she called it, sense of purpose. Shane used to travel. My brother Shane used to travel the world, and we'd have all these visitors knocking on the door and saying, "Hello, I know Shane Collins," and my mother would just open up and put a sleeping bag down on the floor so I I was exposed (laughs) to a lot of travelers um, coming around a lot and so whether that heightened my passion but I always always then just wanted to to be on adventure to see the world at a very young age it fueled my pocket money I I do jobs just to save money so I could travel so what kind of travelers did come and visit and stay over because they knew Shane well, I don't know, people that knew him from Australia, from, you know, Asia, you know, he'd just say, oh, my mum will put you up. And then he'd <laughs> say that. And so, she, and, she, and indeed she did. <laughs> so she, I think she grew, she, we grew up to have this very open um, attitude to life, to uh, be kind to people when they were new to a country, which is very important to me because I never forget the people that are kind to me, um, to be gracious and to to live your life you know, and be adventurous. But we had lots of different people come and visit us. But I just remember that smiling. Um, the house was always full of people. Mm. So were there any other role models that you can think of who, who taught you a lot when you were growing up? My brothers. It really is my family that are my role models. My mother is a remarkable role model. I, I can't begin to tell you how much she shaped me, who I am. But my brothers, Shane and Michael, uh, you know, Michael has never worked for anyone. He left, both my brothers left school at 14 to um, look after my mother. So Michael's never had a job in his life. He's been an entrepreneur since the age of 16. And um, in fact, uh, I think both of them probably didn't do well with authority. Shane joined the Navy when he was quite young. And, um, you know, after a while, I think that, that um, he realised that authority wasn't something he could he could cope with, although he did his dues there. So they both made their mark in lives. Michael, you know, in, in property development, Shane as an elite sportsman and also as a, an entrepreneur. Shane retired at the age of 42 and, and my brother has is, 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 is got a very successful business, you know. Um, so from a financial perspective, you know, they've done exceptionally well, but they're also very happy in, in the relationships they have in their marriages and their family, which I think is also a mark of success. I think it's just absolutely fascinating how you can take four siblings who go through a lot and and really do hit a, a difficult time and, and go through it all together. And that now all four of you, by, by anyone's standards, are incredibly successful. And so I'm just so interested in the, in the environment that, that you must have all been in and what it then created, because I'm pretty sure that there will be there will be these kind of stories where the where the kids have not gone on to achieve such great things. And so what is it like? What is the absolute crux of it? So I guess there was an element of, as I say, of discipline and order because we had to have 
jobs in order because my mum was often not well enough to get up so there was an element of discipline and order you know in other words who's going to do what in terms of the roles we talk um, whether it's cleaning the house or whatever I think there was this instilling um, independence of I mean it's probably politically not correct but I know when I was brought up to know if anyone hit you you just hit them back harder which isn't necessarily a politically correct uh, way of being brought up because I I hate violence but it it did instill in me I I absolutely hated bullies so um, I have a thing about bullies even now but um, you know I found myself often when I was young at school sort of stepping in when someone was being bullied and finding suddenly I was then um, involved but I just couldn't help myself I cannot stand people being bullied and um, so there was this there was this ability to, to to stand up yourself uh, but also this this strong thing about being kind and um, uh, respectful those two I think those two traits uh, I think you know the the boldness the braveness and the uh, respect were things that were built into me from an early age when you were kind of dividing up different chores and different duties that you and your brothers and sister would do and also when you're standing in assembly with a with a white shirt that's been dyed blue because of not being able to buy a blue blouse were you aware why that was all happening at the time I think as you get older uh, certainly around sort of 16 or 15 or 16 that's when you start just just noticing that things were a little different um, to some of the people you knew. That, you know, I didn't have a mum that picked me up from school. I didn't have a father. That, 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 that's, I think, for, at the age of 15 or 16, you start becoming a little bit more sensitive, I think. And um, then I would, you know, I'd go talk to my mum and uh, she'd sort me out. <laughs> they always do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if it was shyness or blushing or whatever little things like that, she would always say, you know, you grow out of it, darling. Yeah. You know? oh. So even now then, so when things aren't going so well, how do you go about getting yourself back on track? Or are there there that kind of things you think about in order to get through hard times now? Well, I I do think when you've got a foundation of a great family, that that pretty well makes you realise that no matter what happens in life, you can always go back to to this unit that will absolutely, um, and my father was Irish, um, one of 13 children, you know, so there's this Irish background in me as well, which is quite clannish in terms of the family is everything. So when, when anyone's in trouble, you just collect around them. So there's this fierce, fierce loyalty of a family unit that will do anything for each other. Um, when you have that background, I think that makes you know there's always going to be someone that you can talk to which I think is incredibly helpful you know I have an identical twin so um, when when things are going tough usually there's someone to talk to and you almost when you have an identical twin you almost don't need a best friend because it is your best friend and I have brothers that that again I could talk to so I've been very lucky in the fact that I I I can't emphasize I think that whole um, being able to express yourself fully in a family I think is very important to be your good self, ugly self, you know, whatever self you are, it's the one place you can just be your authentic self. And it's encouraged. Uh, I think that's very important. And that's enabled me to know no matter what happens in life, I have a a great family and and I have a a wonderful husband now. I waited quite a long time to get married because one one thing my my mother also taught me is don't settle. 
I don't settle in life. I, I, I wait for the right things. So you mentioned your identical twin sister. And so you all have gone through very, very similar experiences. Has, has yeah. that led to you being similar now? Yes, we, we are quite similar, but there are differences. I think travel has made us different. I remember when I went, um, you know, obviously we were brought up as twins and then we went to Canada together. But then I went off to Australia for three years. And um, it was very funny actually coming back and seeing my twin because I could see where I changed. Um, that was quite interesting. I do think travel completely um, can influence who you become. Australia was a time of great openness and and, uh, and I, I realise I learnt. Sally is quite black and white. I tend to be a little bit more open to, 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 to other options. So how would you say that you define what success means and is your definition of it now different to what it might have been when you were growing up? Success for me means really doing what you love in terms of work it's doing what you love and being really good at it uh, which I think goes hand in hand and to a great extent um, I've done things I loved even when I was traveling in some respects there were times when I probably should have been focused on careers but for me the travel the diversity of what I was doing whether that was you know a sports coach in Australia or, or, or whatever um, it enabled me to be at the top of my game I think whatever you do do it really well and be at the top of your game because I think there's an excellence that uh, you inhabit there uh, which I think is important and it gives you confidence to do other things so I would say yes do what you love and be really good at it and that's success so that's your version of success and have you, uh, has that always been that that version I've always wanted to be the best at what I did and I um and not in a necessarily competitive way, although sometimes yes, but uh, yes, from an early age, whether it was being a PA or whether it was a, a fitness instructor or, or a headhunter, I've always just wanted to, to be top at that, uh, whether it was in organisations. So that, that's been instilled in me from a young age, just do very well. I wonder if that goes hand in hand with the, with the SOP, with the sense of purpose and everything that you do. Maybe it does, because I think, why would you just be average when you could be really good? You know, so um, I don't I don't understand average. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that that there's anything wrong with that. But for me, I always aspired to, to, to be the best at what I did, because I think you can be of more service to people because I tend to work with clients. So um, I never stop learning what I do. Um, um, there's. Um, you know, there's so much more to learn still. Um, I, I think mastery is, is a journey. It's not a, a destination. But, um, yeah, success is, I think, just doing what you love, being really good at it, and also being kind. I think kindness is, 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 a, is a quality uh, that is also very important. So how have your your childhood experiences, how have they now shaped you and your and your coaching work? Well, I think because of my child experiences, I would say I'm pretty unshockable. Mm-hmm. You know, people can tell me anything and they kind of know they can um, because I think, as I say, everyone has a story. And sometimes that story isn't always as, as, as um, positive as it could be. So I think it has helped me be highly intuitive. I, I use my intuition a lot. I think when you have experience of life and different cultures, it opens you up. Um, 
but I think it influences the way I work in terms of um, I can put people at ease usually and, and people will open up to me. I can also challenge them because, you know, I've been challenged a lot in life. Um, but I think to challenge if you have tremendous trust is is something you accept because you understand why people are challenging you. Uh, and my, my, you know, I was challenged. I was challenged to, to, to be the best. It wasn't um, an easy ride, but I knew why people were challenging me to be the best because they believed in me and they knew I could do good things. So I do the same thing with my clients. And I wonder if being, as you said, unshockable, I wonder if that instills a sense of confidence in your clients as well, because if they're telling you something that they think is like a really bad thing and you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, fine. Then does that help them to, to then get through it? Well, I think it does because, I, A, I think sometimes people tell me things they don't actually tell anyone else. So, um, but, but you can get to the core drivers and motivators of people if they can just tell you anything because then you, you gain access into what brings them alive, what drives them, what they value, and people make decisions based on that. So the more you know about that, the more helpful it is to, to make decisions that, that suit your values. And often people have choices about the decisions they need to make. And, and uh, you know, I will take them through certain processes so they can really feel that the choice they're making is the one that brings them alive, not the one that they should do. So how often do you get a sense of, of knowing the right path for someone before perhaps they know it themselves? I think coaching... I, it's as one of the expressions I heard, which I really liked, is a bit like a midwife. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, they're doing the work, but you're kind of, uh, you know, holding that. So um, I would never direct a client, although sometimes I will say, look, this isn't coaching, but this is where I see you. This is what I think would be a good idea. But often it's accessing. I think people are so much more intelligent and wise than they think they are. They have so much more inside them sometimes than they believe. And one of my jobs is to access their greatness so that they can make those bold decisions, um, those challenging paths and just go for it. And I think to feel naked, if you like, to feel trusted and safe enables people to go to those depths and um, and then build up and be quite bold in their decision making the expression that most people tell me is that I give them tough love you know I'm, I'm quite tough with my clients but it's based on the fact that I absolutely believe in them and no one else is going to challenge them like I do but they know why I'm doing it because it also comes I guess it's a bit like my mother did um, it also comes with tremendous belief and care and I, I do love my clients I really want them to succeed it matters to me but I am able to really call them I mean I remember even just you know a couple of days ago a client that's got a huge personality and I know intimidates quite a lot of people which I I'm bringing to his attention all the time because he's a lot more sensitive than people think but yeah I'm one of very few people that will call call him when he's what I think is you know he's just not aware of his impact and and uh, every now and again someone needs to let him know what it is because uh, then he thinks wow really I say yes so when I say trust but I can do that because there's trust so has it ever been the case that you perhaps didn't wholeheartedly believe in someone and how would you approach that it's interesting. I, I, let me turn this around another way, because I always think, you know, for, as a, if you don't believe in your client, then you shouldn't work with them. 
I, I don't believe that. I think there's there's greatness in everyone. It's interesting. I've I work with a lot of women who um, are in senior positions who sometimes see the blocks in their career paths and and uh, we work together. You know, often them they aspire to be on a board or and they talk about especially in, in, in sectors like in finance or banking, they will talk about you know, people that, for want of a better word, not being bullied, but just don't hold them in, in, in a particularly big way. So, so it's limiting in terms of what they see in their career path. And sometimes if they're not careful, they become passive about that as opposed to taking control and, and influencing that. But I remember I was coaching someone. It was part of a, of a McKinsey program for, for leaders, and I was one of the coaches of, of their program. So it was a slightly different. They didn't come to me. I was allocated to them. So I, uh, for the first time in my life, I was in a situation where I felt I was being bullied. It was very odd uh, in his manner. Uh, we were going through some documents, and um, he just was passively not doing much and and uh, he made a, a comment that that just was trying to make me look less and and in the end I just dropped all the documents because we were going through this I thought can we just I said you know and I actually said to him um, what is it you really want can we just forget all of this research on on you know he, he done a lot of assessments and we were going through those assessments um, I just wanted to stop. I said, let's stop doing these assessments. And can I just ask you what you really want? And he, he said what he wanted. And I said, and what would that be like if you got it? And he told me, again, he said, that would be bloody marvellous. And I said, so what does bloody marvellous look like then? And I just decided just to park everything we were doing and really eye contact him. He, I remember he stared at me for two minutes once while he was um, waiting to talk. And I just made sure I, I stared back because I knew this was slightly being bullied. And I had to hold that stare. And inside I was thinking, my God, when's he going to stop staring? But I, I held <laughs> it. But interestingly enough, he became one of my closest clients because, you know, there's a reason why people behave that way. And after we got through um, that impasse and I became my authentic self, and got through that, he actually uh, became quite vulnerable in terms of certain things that were happening. And uh, we, we had a very good relationship. So it's a classic example of, I do believe there is greatness in everyone. And I do believe at some level you can access that, but sometimes it takes a little while. But it made me realize, wow, that must that's what it must feel like to be bullied, not in an obvious way in the workplace, because I hadn't experienced that before. And uh, it was, it was an interesting uh, experience for me, and it gave me a greater understanding of what it must be like for, for some of my clients. So when, when did you first develop the kind of ability to do that, to sort of really question people? Because I can imagine, like, growing up with two older brothers as well, and, and if you were all very boisterous, did you always were you always able to sort of answer back and question what they were saying and, and challenge them? Well, as I say, my mother did bring us up to, to speak our minds. Um, I, I think doing the work that I do, when I changed careers and, and discovered coaching, you almost have to unlearn what you do because you have to ask more questions. I used to obviously give answers and direct, and there is a, a part of me that finds that quite easy as well. Um, but with coaching, you have to ask a lot more questions. And I think um, not only is it, a great uh, way of 
communicating with people, but it does actually give you a chance to breathe and slow down and, and pace yourself a little bit more. So I think it's a tremendous gift it's given me that I use in every aspect of my life, not just with my clients. Because often if you just give answers all the time, you've stopped someone um, searching inside for an even better answer. And I think that's the gift of question, really, is waiting for that remarkable answer that you wouldn't have come up with, but they did, you know. So in answer to yourself, it sounds like I <laughs> I do everything right all the time. I, I don't. I mean, I am a, a sensitive being and, and uh, I hate getting things wrong. And uh, I will. that's when I think you go back to your, your, your family, your twin, your brother's feeling a little bruised and know that you can have someone uh, that will just listen. And so is that where your coaching comes in? So you coach other people and then do you, are you coached by your family in that way? Well, I think as a coach, you always, uh, you should have a coach as well at different times because it's all part of, of, of you, you know, walking your talk. But I think um, my mother was a remarkable coach you know she, she reached I don't think she realized I think there's many people that aren't coaches but actually have that style quite naturally mm. if you care about developing people if you care about people progressing you will automatically I think be that kind of person so Una I know you have a stepdaughter and also you've got the the amazing experience of the wonderful Sheila Collins if you were to take that experience everything that you've learned and everything that you've put into practice how would you almost how would you almost give like a step-by-step guide to parents wanting to bring out the best in their children I often think you know people see confidence as a quality but I, I absolutely believe it's a state of mind I think anyone can be confident about anything and, you know, whether that I, I, I just I caught my uh, stepdaughter when she left university was very was probably feeling a little nervous about university. And, and I know her father, who, who loves her dearly, was being very directive about all the things she should do for interviews. But the most important thing for me was that she felt really confident. You know, it wasn't about set interviews. It was about her confidence. So so for me, confidence is everything. If you can instill confidence in your child, you know, in your clients, whatever, um, that's everything. And uh, so it's it's reminding them about how good they've done something, acknowledging that on a very regular basis. So they start step by step acknowledging they've done some good stuff. I mean, often even in my work, I will often with clients that aren't feeling necessarily confident, I will ask them to go back and, and make a list of all their achievements and then read it and then and realise they did all of that. So I think um, this whole piece about what are you doing to instill confidence every single day in your children, uh, even when they, are, you know, are coming with things that they, they should know better, yes. But instead of saying yes, but, say yes and. Yes, that happened. And next time you can do this. So I think it's building on someone's um, also recognizing what they're naturally good at, their natural talents and building those up, you know, whether it's a particular sport or, or whatever. But, but knowing that you're good at something is, is, is very powerful. And sometimes when I'm talking to clients, they'll bring up their kids. And uh, there's this wonderful book on positive psychology called Three to One, that for every 
uh, one negative conversation you had with your children or with yourself, you need to have three more that are positive. Mm -hmm. That's the ratio where people flourish. Being there as well for important events. I know when my mother wasn't, um, little things I remember in school plays, she'd spend hours, you know, making costumes and being there. And uh, and if she wasn't, my eldest brother, Michael, would often be there. So it's about being there at key events as well so that you remember that. I also think just talking to them, as I know they're children, but talking to them as an adult, you know, is, you know, giving them some good questions to think about. Uh, how would you do this rather than always giving them the answer mm-hmm. uh, to develop that thinking in them? Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It's been incredible to hear your story and everything that it's involved. How can people find out more about you and more about the work that you do? Uh, well, they can certainly go to, to, to my website, which is um, potentialplusinternational.com. I write a blog every month as well, so um, they can access that. Yeah, I'd be very happy for them to um, engage with me. Thank you so much, Una. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) This episode was brought to you by Clever Tykes Children's Storybooks. If you want to support the podcast and help share our ethos of inspiring, enterprising behavior, head over to clevertykes.com and order a set of the storybooks to give to a child that you know.